If you uh, sing along with us, we appreciate that. Uh, I tell you, that's hard. I, I prefer to hear your voices here and to um, be able to look out and to see your faces and to worship with you that way. But um, different. God had different intentions for us today. I believe that. Um, and so, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. First Corinthians chapter thirteen is where we're trying to finish. But this is our third or fourth sermon now on, on uh, love and hopefully we can get close to finish up here today um, but what an important subject I, I'll, I'll say this I, I think the enemy has done a fantastic job of distracting us um, in in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 3 Paul told the church at Corinth he said I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. And I think sometimes our minds are being corrupted and being deceived away from this simple truth that, that we have all we need in Christ Jesus. We don't need anything more uh, than that. And so when I look at uh, the things that are going on in the world and I see what... Um, how everybody's distracted, it seems like, and everybody's focused on what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is saying and where they're going, and they're they're checking on everybody else's uh, social media to find out what's going on, and then they're distracted by the the news media and all the things that are going on in the in the world and politics and all these things that are happening. And I I see so much of our minds and our hearts are being driven to think on those things and 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 you know the coronavirus and all these things they're they're kind of plaguing our minds right now and distracting us but i think it's time for christians to begin to wake up and refocus on what god says uh, that we should have our hearts focused on and that our eyes should be fixed on the things that are yet ahead on eternity uh, we should fix our eyes on, on, on Christ and on Jesus and, and we should get our hearts recentered and refocused into Him. And so I don't think it's by coincidence that we found ourselves where we are in the Scriptures uh, today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't. Uh, I actually think it's the providence of God that's brought us here during this time. I believe God's trying to get our attention with these messages that He's been sending to us. I, I believe that God wants us to examine our lives. I believe that God wants us to examine our attitudes and our actions. I believe that we need to see today, are we really displaying and reflecting this type of love that the Scripture has called for? Whether you realize it or not, probably many times this past week, each of us, me and you included, we've had the opportunity to demonstrate true biblical love to another believer or even to a sinner. We had the opportunity to reflect the love of God to others around us, but I wonder this week as I look back at my own life and as I hope you'll look back at yours, how many of us took the opportunity? How many of us carefully weighed our actions, our posts, our responses, our words? How many of us actually weighed those things against these scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? 
I think it's good for all of us to be reminded this morning that we can read the Word of God. We can study the Word of God. We can hear great sermons. But if we don't live them, then we've missed the mark. Amen? I, I, I hope you can amen that this morning. It's good to know the Word of God. It's good to hear the Word of God. It's good to hear the preached Word of God. But friends, if we don't allow ourselves to be changed by the Word of God, we've missed the mark. Now let's look at the words in 1 Corinthians 13 again. Just as a, as a quick reminder, 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses say, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I would give my body to be burnt, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So clearly we can see that no matter how many spiritual gifts we have, no matter how great those gifts are, no matter how much work we do for the Lord, and no matter how deep our understanding of His Word is, even if we were to give our lives up as martyrs for the Lord, if we don't walk in love towards one another, none of it matters. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. That's what we're supposed to be. If you've ever wondered, what, am I, what, what does it mean for, for me to, what, you know, what should a Christian look like? How should we live? Right there is the answer. We are to be imitators of God. Listen to verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor or aroma. Be imitators of God. That's the goal for us. That we would walk in love just as Christ has loved us and given Himself for us. We ought to reflect God's love to one another. This kind of love that the Scripture is speaking about, it should govern our relationships. It should govern our, uh, govern our relationships within the church, with other believers. This should be what love looks like in the church. It should govern our relationships at home. It should be how we love our spouses, how we love our children, how we love our neighbors, how we love our friends, how we love our enemies. This is what love looks like. Let's see it in verses 4 through 7. Love suffers long. In other words, it's patient. Let me ask you, this week, as you look back over the past week, have you had opportunities to be patient with people? Were you? Love is kind. Were you kind this week? Love doesn't envy did you envy someone this week? Love doesn't parade itself. Did you find yourself doing that this week? 
Boasting in something about yourself. Boasting in good works. Boasting in something that you've done. Love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. Or in other words, it's not arrogant. Did you display arrogance this week? Love doesn't behave rudely. Look back over the week and think, did I behave rudely to someone this week? Love doesn't seek its own. Was I selfish and self-centered at any point this week? Only concerned for me and mine? Love is not provoked. Did I lose my temper with someone this week? Did I let someone get under my skin and frustrate me in a way and let me uh, and I showed out in a way that I shouldn't have? Love thinks no evil. Did I think evil about anyone this week? Those are things that we've looked at. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. We're going to study that part today. Love bears all things. Did you bear all things this week? Did you help another believer bear their load? Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Just as a reminder, we said those 15 descriptions of love fall into three categories. Remember them? There's the category of stability or faithfulness. This is our character. We're patient. We bear. We believe. We hope. We endure. We choose to love regardless of circumstance or regardless if someone is hard to love. We choose. That's what faithful love does. Love is humble. That was the second category. This is the attitude of a believer. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't parade itself. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not selfish. It's not easily angered. Doesn't think evil. And now we look today at the third category of love, and the last one that we'll study from 1 Corinthians 13. We look at the truthfulness of love. Love is faithful, love is humble, and love is honest. Look again at verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Let's just break that down this morning. The first part of that statement, love does not rejoice. What does that word mean? Rejoice, it means to delight in or to be pleased by something, satisfied in something. And that word iniquity means unrighteousness. Literally, it means the word unrighteousness. So in other words, the Scripture is saying love doesn't take pleasure in what is displeasing to God. Love doesn't take any satisfaction from sin. Maybe I could say it this way. And maybe you'll remember it this way. Love doesn't ever justify sin. This is an important truth because in our world today, love is defined by acceptance. It's all about tolerance. The world teaches us that if we truly are loving, then we'll just be okay with everything. That we'll overlook sin, that we'll accept sin, that we'll just be okay with everything that's coming and going. It wouldn't matter. See, to the world, that's what love means. Anything goes, and everyone's supposed to be okay with it. But that's not God's definition of love. 
The love that God wants us to, to, to reflect this morning is this faithful and humble love, but it's also this truthful love, this honest love. It doesn't rejoice in sin. The Scripture says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And boy, are we living in a time today when people are calling evil good and good evil. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We're living in a time when people are saying all kinds of evil things are good things. Things that displease God. And the world says, oh, if you're, if you're really a loving person, you're going to be okay with this. No. No. We don't have to compromise on what God says is true in the name of love. You can love people and still be able to be honest and be truthful and not accepting of something. Our world has forgotten that. They have lost that truth. And this is important in the church as well. Remember that the Corinthians, they had people in their church who were willfully living in continuous sin. They were unrepentant of that sin. They were going to stay in that sin. Church, listen to me. Love doesn't ignore that kind of behavior. Love doesn't ignore willful, unrepentant sin. True love understands the danger of sin. True love understands the ultimate consequence of sin. And true love refuses to rejoice in it. This is why churches must practice church discipline. But this is why church discipline must be practiced in love. It's one of the most challenging aspects of love, in my opinion. To love someone enough to be honest with them, even when it's difficult. To care enough about someone that you're willing to speak the truth to them in love. You're willing to risk losing them. You love them so much, you won't let them continue on in sin without trying to rescue them from it. This is biblical. We are each other's keepers to a degree. We need each other to hold each other accountable. We need each other for correction. This is one of the reasons churches meet together today. This is the reason if you went over to Ephesians or into Romans and you read these scriptures that talk about He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, all why? Well, for what reason? So that the body might come together in faith, but also so that we might be able to be rebuked and corrected and learn together in love. This is the reason we have church. This is the reason we don't forsake assembly together. This is the reason we come together as often as we can because we need each other. We've got a great responsibility to each other as believers. 
We are to help each other in our walk with Christ. That means when I see someone that I love sinning against God, it's I have this responsibility. Love weighs on me. My love for them weighs. And I should lovingly try to restore them to the truth. Love doesn't just ignore it. And I've been guilty at times of ignoring it. But listen at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is straight from the Word of God. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, he's, he's breaking God's laws, he's, he's sinning against God. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness, considering yourself lest you also would be tempted. We are to come along beside that brother or sister and, and lovingly and meekly and humbly, gently try to bring them back. There's more than just confrontation. There's a grace that we can use, a, a, a spirit of gentleness that God will grant us to be able to help restore one another when we need it. Now listen, none of us like to be corrected. None of us enjoy correction. In the moment, correction, even if it's done in gentleness sometimes, even if it's done the most graceful way that we can think of, sometimes in the moment for someone to come along beside of you and to try to correct you, it makes us angry. It makes us want to quit being around that person. It makes us want to throw up our hands. It makes us want to lash out. But a brother or sister that loves you enough to tell you the truth, they're a friend indeed. Listen to Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Yes, it, it, it hurts to be corrected. But we have to see the importance of someone who's trying to restore us. We, we should never allow our feelings or our wants or our desires to be more important than the truth. We need to treasure those who are willing to be honest with us. Treasure them who love us enough to, to try to restore us when we become wayward, when we, when we move to the left or to the right, or when our foot begins to look towards the, the wide, broad path. We should cherish those who might come along beside us and lovingly try to steer us back in to the right way. But I believe it's also important this morning to use caution. Because we can be sometimes honest and truthful in a way that's unbiblical. I believe honesty in the spirit of anger or in jealousy or in any of those other ways is most always unloving and unbiblical. 
It has to be done in the spirit of meekness. It must be done in love. It needs to be done out of a deep concern for their soul and for their well-being. You don't just go correct someone because you're angry at them. You pray, you seek God, and when you can go in a spirit of gentleness and grace, that's when you go. The Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, listen to this Scripture. Let love, this same love we're talking about, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. We can learn something valuable from that Scripture this morning. We should love each other enough to be honest with one another, but not hypocritical ourselves. Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what he said. Because, now listen, this is important in church relationships and even in your home relationship at times. This is important in all relationships. But the context is for the church this morning. But listen, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't consider the plank in your own eye? Do we do that sometimes? Do we look at our, 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 our friends across the way in a different pew? Or do we look at the person uh, somewhere else in the church and say, I can't believe they don't do this. I can't believe they do this. I can't believe they're this way. I can't believe they're that way. Why do you look at the speck that's in their eye but ignore the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get this speck from your eye? And look, there's a plank in your own eye. You see what Jesus says in verse 5? He says, hypocrite. It's the same word we saw there in Romans, let love be without hypocrisy. Jesus said, this is hypocrisy. Get the plank from your own eye. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It doesn't say don't remove the speck from your brother's eye. He says, first look at yourself. Get the plank from your eye, then help your brother get the speck out of his eye. We understand that love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, in sin. It doesn't ignore sin. It means telling the truth. That's what love does. It rejoices in truth and it's, it does it in kindness and with grace. To love somebody is to care enough about them to share the truth with them. It's to care about their spiritual health not just their feelings. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. But love delights in truth. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, think or meditate on these things. This is great relationship advice for your marriage and for the church and for everywhere else. This is just great advice in general. It's actually more than great advice. This is a great commandment to us. 
Listen to me this morning. You can always find fault with people. I've never met a faultless person. It's easy to criticize people. It's easy to dwell on what you don't like about people. The reality is today, we're all human. We all make mistakes and we can all find fault with one another. But do you know what love does? Love finds the good and rejoices in that. Instead of emphasizing faults, what if we emphasized achievements? You know, we're quick to call out a brother or sister who does something we don't like, who says something we don't like, who acts in a way that we don't approve of. And, and listen, I'm not saying we should ignore those things. If they're sinful things, we should lovingly and graciously uh, come along beside like we said before. But we're quick to find those things. But isn't it strange that we're not as quick to praise one another? We're not as quick to, to, to look at the good things about a person and to talk about the good things. Love doesn't just focus on the faults of others. It focuses on the good of them. Listen, there are some people right now, if you think of their name, you immediately think something negative. Tell me that's not true. I want to know the secret if that's not true. There are some people in your life, most likely, I'm speaking to everybody, is that when you think their name, something negative immediately comes to mind. You immediately think about their fault or the thing that you don't like about that. But what I'm saying this morning is, what if instead we rejoiced in the good of that person? What if we saw the good in that person and rejoiced in the truth? Instead of the iniquity. So hopefully we see here that love is honest. When someone sins, it doesn't rejoice in their sinfulness. It doesn't ignore their sinfulness. But it allows us to come alongside someone who sinned and to correct them. But love doesn't hold sin over each other's heads. It doesn't hold fault over each other. Instead, love searches for the good, the noble, the just, the pure, the lovely things, the praiseworthy things about that person. And love rejoices in those good things about that person. Don't be a negative person. Don't be a critical person. Constantly criticizing other people. Don't be that way. God is not pleased with a critical attitude. Instead, if there's a sin or a fault or, or if a brother or sister is stumbling, come alongside, help them lovingly, graciously. Don't rejoice in their sin. Don't ignore their sin. But also find the good in them and rejoice in that. Rejoice in the truth. I want you to see the big picture about these categories, these descriptions, these characteristics of love that Paul's been showing us. They teach us how to reflect the love of God. That's, brother, that's what we're supposed to do. Don't forget it. We're supposed to let our lights shine. We're supposed to be salt and light in the world. We're supposed to uh, let people see our love for one another so that they may be drawn in and may know that we are disciples of Christ. People should be able to look at us and see that by the way that we love each other. And as they watch us loving one another, 
They should be able to look into the mirror and see a love that God has for them. I want you to understand what we're reading. I think it should comfort us. Because this is how God loves us. God's love is so faithful and steady. That's what we said, right? Love is faithful. That's the way God's love is. It's not here one day and gone the next. Right? This should challenge us to love people faithfully. Think about this. Think about Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it's written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Listen Paul's words. See if you're persuaded. He said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor anything that's present or anything that will come neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church this morning we are, God's love is so faithful that there is nothing this world has ever known that can separate His love from us. Is that the way you love other people? You say, well, that's not. That's not possible. That's the love God has given believers. It is in you. If you are born again, it is in you. The Scripture bears that out. You won't do it perfectly all the time. None of us do anything perfectly all the time. But that love should be in there. And you should be exercising it and walking in it day in and day out, weighing your decisions in this love. I'm thankful that God's love is faithful. I'm thankful that God's love was humble. This is important. Why? Because we see the Savior leaving the throne room of heaven, leaving the kingdom of God. And listen, coming down and humbling Himself to die for us. That's what Philippians tells us. Right? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made Himself of no reputation taking on the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death even to the death of the cross. Is that the way you act this morning? With that kind of humility? Are you willing to humble yourself to die to your own self to serve the Lord and to serve others around you? Or is your life still your own? Love doesn't seek its own. And love is truthful. You know why that one's important? Because we see that God in His perfect love for us does not rejoice in our iniquity either. 
But He's working to sanctify us in the truth. He corrects us when, he, when we sin. He corrects us because He loves us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see it. He said, And have, have you and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives. We have a hard time understanding this today because we've moved away from any concept of discipline anymore. But what the Bible bears out is that we know we've, we've heard the Scripture, spare the rod, spoil the child, and we are children of God. And there are times that our loving Father, He comes and corrects us. And if you endure, verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, every born again believer, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. But He, God, does it for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. God uses this rebuke, this chastisement to train us. It's painful, when it's happening. It's hard to be corrected. But love rejoices in truth. And that's where God is trying to move us toward is that our lives would reflect His truth. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there, there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. This is Paul's closing statement to this beautiful portion of Scripture. And here's what he does. He emphasizes the eternal aspect of love. He's showing you how superior it really is. Love never fails because love is eternal. Love doesn't die, it's unending. The gifts, you see, they'll cease. They'll end. Even right now, the gifts aren't perfect. They're imperfect. Prophecies are imperfect. They're not, they, listen, they're incomplete. Our knowledge is only partial. 
But there is a coming day that the Scripture says when that which is perfect, and I know there's maybe some debate out there about what that is, but I'm going to tell you what I believe He's talking about here. I believe He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When the Lord returns, we won't need all these gifts and all these things that we imperfectly exercise today. They won't be necessary any longer. There'll be no need for prophecy when the Lord returns. There'll be no need for tongues. They'll cease. We'll have a perfect knowledge there. And this worldly knowledge, this worldly wisdom, it'll vanish away. But love, love will continue. It'll abide throughout the endless ages of time. If you can't love people here, you're missing one of the glories that you're going to experience there. Church, I believe with all my heart we need these messages right now as much as we've ever needed them. As the world continues to turn against biblical Christianity at a pace that's so fast, it's intensifying every single day. Uh, you can see it in every form and every fashion. We need to remember what the Lord told us. Remember that in John chapter 15? He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. The world loves its own. But yet, because you're not of the world, but because I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do for my name's sake because they do not know Him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. We, guys, we can't look to the world for love. The more like Christ we become, the more the world will hate us. When we show this kind of love, you see, this is what happens. When we show biblical love, the world's love is exposed for what it really is. It's fake. It's not faithful. It's not humble. It's not truthful. The world's love is fake and dishonest and and flighty, and one minute they love you, and the next minute they don't. It's not the way God loves us. It's not the way we should love one another. When we show this kind of love, we can expect to be hated. We can expect persecution. 
We can expect the world to come against us, but inside the church and the family of God, this love should prevail. This love won't fail. This is the kind of love that we must show each other. We should rejoice with one another. We should abide in faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I, I pray that these messages have been a help to you. I, I encourage you even to go back and listen again and study these out. Go back and get your Bible out and pull up one of these old messages. And if you don't like the way I preached them, Go, go, go listen to another preacher who might maybe expound in a way that makes more sense to you or whatever the case may be. But study. Set your heart to live this kind of love out on others. Pour yourself into learning how to love like this. You may say, well, it's just not natural for me. That's okay. It doesn't have to be natural. Lots of things are not natural. You have to learn how to do them. When a child is born, it's not natural for it to walk. It learns how to. It's not natural for it to talk. It learns how to. You may be born again, and then you say, well, this doesn't feel natural for me to love. But you might have to learn how to love like this. So pour yourself into it. Study with all your heart. And just watch what God will do with your life once you start pouring out this kind of love on other people. God will use you in tremendous ways. God will bless others through you. You'll be a weapon in the hand of God Himself against the darkness of this world when you can love like this. Faithfully, humbly, and honestly. I love you this morning. I, I beg you to pray for our community. There are so many that are sick and struggling right now and, 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 and so many who are, who are nervous and, and feel unsafe. And, and, and compromised and then there's those who have been quarantined now for seven or eight months and I'm sure they're feeling lonely and discouraged and, and heartbroken at times and it's hard to see light at the end of the tunnel but it's coming. God's got a plan and a purpose for all this. I don't know what it is. I, couldn't, I wish I could tell you but I can't. But what I can say for sure is that God will use this for His glory and somehow for our good. Maybe if you're in that boat today and you're feeling lonely and discouraged and maybe beat down just a little bit, let me just share one last scripture with you before we close in prayer. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, be, you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, take up the shield of faith this morning with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Let's pray.
Father, we thank You this morning, God, for the love that You show us. God, we do it so imperfectly for one another. But God, our hearts desire God. And I pray, Lord, I know You search the hearts of men and women, God. They don't have to be sitting in a church house this morning for You to search their hearts. God, right where everyone is today, God, wherever they are, they may be in their living room or their kitchen. They may be in their car. Right where they are, God, I pray you'll search their heart. God, and as you look into their heart, I pray, God, that they'll see what you see. That all blind spots would be removed, God, that we might see are we truly loving people, each other, the way we're supposed to. Are we displaying this beautiful love reflecting it to the world so that they might look into the church and say, the way those people love each other is amazing. I want to be loved like that. God, would you help us to love that way? Where we're failing in love, correct us. Help us to walk in truth and not to rejoice in our iniquity and certainly not to continue in it. God, for those that are struggling today, hurting, sick, depressed, down and out, God. Lonely. Bless them, Lord. Be with them. Strengthen them. Be a friend to them that sticks closer than a brother. If it's your will, heal their bodies, God. And Lord, we pray, God, with everything in us, Lord, that you would remove this virus from our, our land, God, that we might be able to go out again without worry. So many are worried and concerned, God. God, that all the hate God, that we won't get sucked into that, Lord. But instead, God, that we'll focus our hearts on what matters, you. And we'll find our satisfaction there. We love you and we praise you. Thank you, God, for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. God bless you. Have a great week.